0: and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times, I'm Natalie Sawyer.
1: And I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I thank you, we thank you for joining us. Now in the studio with us today is the Times' Chief Statsman, is, is, is that your new title? Uh,
2: your it, well, it's whatever you call me, it Changed <laughs> last week. Yeah, as you can tell it's Bill Edgar. <laughs>
1: and down the line, speaking to us from uh, his formal kitchen in Rippenden, it's the Chief Football Correspondent for The Times, Ollie Kay. Hello.
0: Yeah, ollie has been very busy this week. He met the president of Barcelona and the Brighton striker, Glenn Murray. We'll be asking Ollie about that later. But we start, as we always seem to do, this season with Manchester United and Jose Mourinho. It's been a week where United were knocked out of the Carabao Cup by Derby. Paul Pogba was stripped to the vice-captaincy and a training ground dispute between Pogba and Mourinho was caught on camera. So it's a miserable seven days that was completed with a 3-1 defeat at West Ham on Saturday lunchtime, confirming their worst start in 29 years. Bill you were on this uh, podcast last Monday bemoaning United style of play was this a new low for them? Um, they were again
2: um, fairly cautious as usual whether it's a new low I don't know I think I think we can now say for sure that uh, this season they've had nine games and in no game have they dominated their opponents so they've, they've really taken a big step back. Mourinho took them forward over two years and he, he did fine, they'd sunk to a, a real low under Van Hal, but I think as it stands now, he's taken them all the way back again I mean, the, you remember when he was successful at Chelsea uh, second time round and first time as well, he'd keep the same first 11 even while apparently burning them out, because he knew his first 11 he stuck with it At the moment he's just chopping and changing so much it's getting ridiculous. Uh, Over the last 12 league games going back to last season they've had eight different centre-back partnerships and they didn't buy anybody in the summer so they've had the same players to pick from. There's no continuity at all. Obviously he put in McTominay, a midfielder, as part of a three at the back uh, for the first time on Saturday. McTominay himself is an interesting case. He's, he's OK. He's been a reasonable start at United. I mean, nothing special yet, really. You're not going to say he's, he's going to have 10 years in the first team. Done OK. He's just used as a political pawn by Mourinho. Every time Mourinho wants to make a point about Pogba, Sanchez or Rashford or whoever um, not having the right attitude, rather than say it quite directly, he'll say, look how well McTominay's doing. Isn't he a great lad? You know, Was
1: it last year that he said, like, McTominay has everything. and Yeah. Pretty, I mean, I, I have less of an issue with the three at the back because they didn't do that against Spurs with Herrera, mm. and that actually worked really well for 45 minutes. I mean, I know they lost the game 3-0, but all they they played maybe their best football of the season against a real team for 45 minutes, right? So why not build on that? you mean stick with that that
3: sort of formation and, uh, and set up.
1: Or maybe some um, of the concepts or, or, or whatever it was. It seems that like when United do something good he then manages to poison and unravel it
3: all over again. The mood is so bad. The players don't even look fit or prepared or motivated. Team selection seems to just sort of, I don't know, it's almost like it's lucky dip. Um, it's not really like, the, like it was um, the final months at Chelsea where he, he sort of stuck blindly to the same formula. Okay, he was turfing some people out one week and, and, and sticking with them the next. But it just—it all seems so random, the, the team selection. McTominay in the central defence, I couldn't understand that at all when you've got Baye on the bench. Sanchez, who's persisted with him, refused to drop when, when he either needed a, a rest or just taking a side at various points. He's eventually pulled out and not even in the squad. And Martial... Thrown in from whipping boy, barely getting a minute to to start the next two games, and it's just it's just thrashing around in in search of some kind of not even a formula, but some kind of well thr- thrashing around in search of a result.
1: So basically, we, we Ollie, I, I mean, I, we've been watching this guy a long time. I, I don't remember him ever being this erratic, no. um, and, and and even afterwards, you know, when you come out and you say, "Well, you guys all will." all said that, you know, Sanchez was bad, and you all said Martial should play, and I gave it to you, and look, haha! Ha. I mean, for a guy that's built everything on, on being meticulous and a, and, a, and a winner and authoritarian, you know, now he's going... It looks like he's, he's the opposite direction. Now, there's, there's a theory which I want to put to you, which is that he's actually given up, and now the best-case scenario is for him to get sacked quickly because if he gets himself sacked quickly then he can still walk away with an alibi. He can walk away saying, I inherited, you know, a a, a pile of turds from Louis van Gaal. I had to deal with Ed Woodward, who made every wrong decision. I had to deal with Pogba, who's a maniac and a cancer on the team. But look, I finished second. You know, nobody else other than Sir Alex Ferguson has done that at Manchester United. Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, since the 1960s probably.
2: Um, well, they, uh, they were second was around 1980, I think they were. Uh, Under? P. Uh, Dave Sexton. Okay, so uh, no, yeah,
1: nobody since yeah. the early yeah. 80s, other than Sir Alex, has achieved what I achieved. I won the Europa League, which, which was the first time ever for Manchester United. I have two trophies in two years. Don't blame me. Give me another shot. And he walks away with also a nice severance because he has a deal through 2020. I, do you buy this theory? Does this seem at all plausible? I, as sort of some sort of explanation for his for his very un-Marino-like behaviour?
3: What I would say is that somebody in football put that theory to me uh, recently. Yeah, it was me. You, you know, is it was me. We had get, this conversation last to... week. I'm your source. <laughs> no, you're not. No. No. Okay. You're not, unfortunately. Um, you're, you're on the periphery of football. Like, Thank um, you. <laughs> like I aspire to be. Um, but the, um, I heard the same theory when he was at Chelsea. And I know... I mean, it really does look look like that at times. But I just don't think when somebody is so obsessed with pride and his legacy and people's perception of him as he is, which he undoubtedly is. I've never I've I've never known another manager who is more obsessed by what the world thinks of him as, as the guy who rattles off how many of each trophy he's won won all the time. Ferguson couldn't even have told you how many Premier League titles he won. He he just didn't, the numbers didn't matter to him. I don't think many managers have that sort of desperation to trumpet their own CV so often. So I don't think it really fits, does it, that that a guy who's so obsessed by how the world sees him wants to be involved in a complete calamity. I know that you, you can look at it sometimes and think, well, what is he even trying to do with that lineup? You know, is he just trying to insult people by putting a, a lineup which is the most sort of clunky, un-Manchester United-like lineup I've ever seen uh, on Saturday? But it's no, I, I do not think he's What's
1: the alternative, trying to upset? though? I really don't. But, I, but no, no. I but, think... but you say he cares about his legacy, right? If he stays and he has another season where, like at Chelsea, when they're on the verge of the relegation zone, when 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 he was finally dispatched. That's going to hurt his legacy more than leaving now after seven games with an alibi and the summer and Alda Vareld and all this other stuff, right?
3: Well, why not? I mean, if that was the case, why wouldn't he confect a massive bust-up? I mean, we know there's tension anyway, but confect a massive bust-up and, and resign. If that was, if, that was well, his proper, if-, if
1: he resigns, he walks away from close to thirty million pounds. Well, and you could argue that. He's already kind of tried to confect a massive bust up <laughs> yes, last week yes. with with Pogba, making sure that everybody knew about it. I can't understand these erratic things that he says. Nobody trained better than Pogba last week and then, you know, he wasn't good, but at least he's the most talented player you have on the pitch and you, you haul him off early in the second half. i right? well, what's
3: he doing?
0: <laughs> That's but, the big but, question, I, isn't I, it?
3: I think I think one thing you can look at you can look at the, the time he was uh, you know the, the final few months at Chelsea, second time around. Even even you know, the final few weeks at Chelsea, first time around. But certainly this period, it makes you think that somebody who sort of characterises himself as a, a, you know a master, picks all these battles, wins all these battles behind the scenes. You know, somebody obsessed with these struggles, somebody who's never better, never stronger than when he's got his back up against the wall. Well, he seems pretty bad at those things, to be honest. He, 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 he's, he's a really good manager when he's got his team playing his way and when everything you know when when the machine when the juggernaut is is going on that's what that's when he's brilliant he's very good at getting the juggernaut going but he doesn't seem to be very good at this particular situation where everybody's slaughtering them the mood partly by his doing is so negative and so i i don't completely dismiss the, the theory you made, You mentioned it, but because uh, i don't think he's giving it enough evidence to suggest that he's giving it his, his full shot but I don't think anybody as is, is driven and competitive and indeed self-absorbed as Mourinho could ever do
0: that. OK, let, the way that this whole scenario is playing out, it, you feel as though someone is going to go and if anyone's going to go, it's going to be Mourinho, you think. But if he does go, Bill, who comes in to replace him?
2: Well, you'd, you'd hope somebody who's, uh, just from a United fans point of view, somebody who would just play uh, more attacking football, really. But, uh, I guess... Who knows? I mean, Ryan Giggs would be keen, probably, uh, but he'd have to give up the job. He's got a job. He does, but I mean, you know, it's only a Wales job. He'd he'd give that up to manage Manchester United. It's a Wales job. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) But yeah, I would have. It's always easier to get rid of the manager than a player. I mean,
1: are you talking on an interim basis, or are you talking as like the United, the real grown-up United manager? uh, Yeah,
2: yeah, possibly the real grown-up Manchester United. Ryan Giggs. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see why not. But, I mean, it could be anybody. I mean, who knows? It's not everyone. It's just want to know why not?
1: Because we heard him speak in public. Because when he was there before, it didn't even cross anybody's mind to keep him involved with the club because he has no no track record. he help me. Hey, I know you're not a United fan, but do you want another massive gamble
3: like Ryan Giggs at this stage? Giggs wanted the job in in. 2014, when he was caretaker for a bit after Moyes, and and the idea then was to groom him while Van Gaal was in charge, and then he would become the next one. And I think he would have got the job post Van Gaal had it not felt like something drastic was needed after Van Gaal, that ceased to be the idea. And then, and then obviously he's left. He spent most of the last two years as a pundit, and then he's he's recent takeover as well. I think. I mean, one conversation I was having with someone um, over the weekend was. People are saying, oh, well, it's got to be Zidane. Zidane's the only one available. You think, well, why would Man United, in need of a new manager, just limit themselves to what's available? I know top managers don't generally quit mid-season to take another job at that level, but why would you just limit these to what's, you know, people who are out of work or on sabbaticals or...
2: I can answer that know, question. Well, because
1: you uh, need... So basically, if you go and you approach another manager let's say you approach Diego Simeone just just mm-hmm. throwing that out there or or Pochettino while Mourinho is still physically there there is no possible way you're going to do this quietly because as we've seen United struggle to do things quietly and then you create ill will you're undermining Mourinho while he's still there I, I think the idea to go and get another man, top manager during the season not only is it not a classy move, it really is, in fact, really a gutter move when one club takes another top club's manager during the season. But it could badly blow up in their face because this thing could just drag on and on and on. Mm. Or you could have a Marco Silva situation. They lose more games. Mourinho goes mad. I mean, to me...
3: We already reached that point anyway.
1: <laughs> That's a King Lear moment. No, but, I mean, I, I'm with you. But the Zidane thing, I, I don't think Zidane would be a logical appointment in any way. You're talking about a guy who's not the warmest, fuzziest public personality to begin with, uh, a guy who obviously did tremendously well in in winning uh, all those Champions League at, at Madrid. But bear in mind, this is also somebody who had existed in Madrid for 16 years. So it was a club he knew inside out. He'd been there the whole time. There's no evidence or suggestion that you can just slot him in somewhere else, and, and he took over a great team and a settled team. Didn't change anything in terms of in terms of the personnel. It's basically, the same people who had won the the, uh, the Champions League with uh, with, with Ancelotti uh, before mm-hmm. that. It's a completely different situation than a rebuild job, and we have no idea if he has any appetite for it. I, for me, if you do think of the future and you need to think of the future, I agree with you. You need to think in terms of, you know, you you can't limit yourself to managers how to work, but. The logical step for me is stick with Mourinho as long as you can bear it. Yeah, bring in an interim guy between now and the end of the season to salvage whatever you can do, and then devote those six months between now and the end of the season to aggressively mm. pursuing who you really want, whether whether it's Pochettino or or Simeone or or whomever.
3: No, I, I agree with that. I, I, I mean, if they had done enough homework, and they should be doing their homework, whether whether they think Mourinho's got Six weeks, six months, whatever. They should always be planning, and, and that's that's one thing I've Well, there are many things I've been criticising the modern man United for. There is no planning, there's no vision, there's no strategy, apart from on the commercial side. But they need need to be planning. They need to be doing their homework. If they if they think Zidane is the perfect man, or if somebody who actually knows about football is convinced that Zidane is a perfect man, then then well, why not? Why, why not do that? rather than later, but if they're not convinced and if they think it, it would be well it's not ideal but you know, it's 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 october what, what what else can we do then that that's the wrong thing to do from for a start i i think stick with radio as long as it's tolerable um in the meantime try to work out who is the ideal candidate and try and get them sooner rather than later it's it's you know you do risk destabilizing a club if you, if you say um to Tottenham or, or Juventus or Atletico Madrid or whoever is your manager available and Man United have done a very good job of making themselves less attractive than, than all of those clubs but they should identify who the best candidate would be and, and go for him rather than just thinking we need to go for whoever's out of work it's just ridiculous <laughs>
0: This season, with your subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. Subscribe now. It's just £1 a month for a three-month trial. Now, Oli, you've been very busy this week, just like every week, of course. But this weekend, you interviewed the Barcelona president, Jose Maria Bartomeu, which you can read in the game today. Tell us about that experience then.
3: Um, it was... It was uh... Very enjoyable and very enlightening experience. Um, I mean, we spoke. It, it, if you're a Barcelona fan, thinking, um, well, what do you make of this current crisis after after drop points over the last seven so days? It was speaking on Wednesday, Wednesday lunchtime last week, and it was before those those uh, slip ups um, or the defeat in Leganés. And um, so, the mood around Barcelona was was very good at, at, at that time. A lot of the conversation was about. Um, The future of club football, Um, the plan, the infamous plan to play La Liga match overseas in January, which um, he seems to have no problem with, Um, the potential overhaul of of the club football structure as we know it, Super League ideas and Champions League expansions and that kind of thing. That's a lot of what we spoke about, and um, I I don't really share his views on a lot of it, but um, it was interesting to hear them and, uh, and report them. I mean, given that...
1: You spoke to him on Wednesday, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was after the Pogba incident. Did did you ask him about all those, like... Because, I, I mean, I saw a whole parade of ex-pros going and on, on my televisions here in England and going and dumping on Pogba. He doesn't want to be there. He wants to be in Barcelona, blah, blah, blah. But we also made the point that Barcelona has Busquets and Coutinho and Rakitic and Arthur and Rafinha and Arturo mm. Vidal, and they just signed Arthur and Arturo Vidal this summer. So I always thought, this is complete nonsense. Did you ask him that? Was he, I'm sure, was did, he was very I forthcoming?
3: Did. I did. Well, he, no, he, he wasn't very forthcoming. He, he said, yeah, we don't we don't talk about other teams' players. It, uh, a policy of ours, and he said, talking more generally. What he would do is, is sometimes you would you would get a, a call from an agent saying such and such a player is available, and sometimes you would um, call the CEO of the other club and, and say, look, is it, is it right that this player is available? And most of the time you hear back, no, uh, that's, that's not the case. He's not for sale. Um, I then asked him specifically, did you make a bid for Progba in August? As as was mentioned, the the sort of reported bid of 50 million euros plus um, Gomez and and Mina at the time. He trotted out the same answer, basically sort of non-committal. But he said, you know, the impression he gets is that that, that the big clubs don't want to sell their players. That seemed to be a pretty... um, Clear indication that he'd spoken to United in August, and that there was no um, interest or you know interest in selling for, at that time, which would which would very much confirm what was written at the time. The interesting thing I I'd, I'd spoke to um, I spoke to somebody else who was more loosely connected with Barcelona um, at the time last week, and his answer was, well, yeah, if if Barca took a call from um, Mino Raiola, as, as we believe they did in the summer, saying Pablo was available, you know, maybe you would ask a question, but it would be but he did this guy's Theory and a guy who knows Barcelona inside out. His ghost feeling was that Pogba doesn't really complement what they have already at Barcelona, and, and it would be hard to see them bidding for him in January or anything like that. Maybe next summer, if if the dynamic of their squad had changed or whatever, maybe maybe there would be a, a case for it. But might well be Pogba's dream move, but might not be um, something that Barcelona are quite so desperate to do.
0: Well, arguably the standout fixture in the Champions League this week is Tottenham against Barcelona at Wembley. Apologies to, to Liverpool and Napoli fans there. But, gap. can Tottenham repeat the feat of 12 months ago when they beat Real Madrid in the group stage, do you think?
1: They pretty much need to because you lose this one and you're at zero points having lost to, and on and, and, and top of that, at home. Last three games, Barcelona have, have two draws and a, and a defeat. What I think is very telling is that Valverde is taking this really, really seriously. I mean, he, he left Busquets and, uh, and Lionel Messi on the bench until well into the second half. And, you know, it, it's not like they're playing a bunch of Muppets. They're playing Athletic Bilbao at home. And then he was forced to bring them in. And, you know, they did, again, create enough chances to, to possibly win. But it seems like he's put all his eggs in this Champions League basket. Feels a lot of pressure. And so I think you're going to get a very motivated, very focused Barcelona side.
2: I think Barcelona I know that Tottenham have really uh, come on in Europe. Last year, they deservedly won the a group with Real Madrid in it. They're very unlucky against Juventus to go out. They played really well away to Inter in the first game. They're really going to challenge Barcelona. The one issue is the uh, injuries at the moment, unfortunately. Eriksen's been unfit, so whether he plays, I don't know. Um, Ali is out, and they have got uh, Dembele, Vertong, no doubt. Um, so that's, that's fallen at the, a bad time.
1: They played really well against a very bad Inter team until they stopped playing well and then...
2: Yeah, but they dominated that game. They were and they were really impressive. I thought, okay, right at the end, they conceded I know, the two but goals. But it's like
1: playing really well against, I don't know, like some mid-table. I mean, but do you really think Inter are that bad? I th- no, no, I don't think. I mean, I, I I think they were they were in that bad a moment at the time. I think they they've improved a little bit since then. But you know, it was one of those moments where the squad was thrown together and they'd had bad results and there was pressure, and that's why. You know, that's what would concern me most about Tottenham is this was a game against an opponent that was so vulnerable at that stage. And when the equalizer came, all of a sudden everything shifted and it was like Tottenham weren't even able to hang on there for, for the draw. That's what would really concern me if I were Pochettino.
0: OK, so Tottenham and Barcelona to come this week. And Ollie, not only did you meet the, the Barca president, you've also spent a bit of time with the Brighton striker, Glenn Murray, in the build-up to their game with Tottenham. And while there were tales of, what, cryotherapy and yoga, there was also the story of haircuts and the bodyguard on iPlayer. I
3: thought you were going to say bodyguards. Um, no, he didn't He didn't need a bodyguard. He might have done briefly when he left Brighton for Palace a few years back. But, um <laughs> He, uh, yeah, it he was, he was a really a really illuminating, f- for me, I'm not saying for the readers, maybe they enjoyed it, maybe they didn't, but it, it was a very enlightening thing to do, to, to spend, I mean, in this job you do spend time with footballers, not as much as we would like, probably a lot more than they would like, but this was certainly over the, over the Friday, the day before the match and the Saturday, you know, spent in each other's pockets, which was, um, which was quite weird, but he was just saying, no, it's, it's, it's fine. Which is not a very kind of modern Premier League type attitude to take, where you, where the media are generally kept at much more than arm's length. Um, but we were just sort of seeing how a Premier League footballer goes about his daily business, and it was um, it was just really normal. I mean, I know obviously you've got a journalist with you, you're not going to think right, casino. Um, but no, you was just saying that this this is this is what I generally do. I will go for a haircut on a Friday. I'll go for I'll go for I'll go and pick up the kids and take them to a party and, and then go back and, you know, Saturday was not holed up in a hotel, which is, which is the norm in the Premier League. But, you know, it, it was five hours before kickoff. We were, we were sort of walking his dog and then we went for a sandwich and a coffee. And it was, it was just, it was great not only to, to see that, but also for a football to be so relaxed. And just to talk about generally the, the life of a footballer and, and the psyche of a footballer and, and, um, insightful stuff that, that he said about what it's like being a footballer and what it's like being in the public eye and, and being under that pressure and trying to escape that pressure. I find it really interesting and, and enjoyable.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The top-of-the-table clash at Stamford Bridge on Saturday delivered high-quality, high-drama and two outstanding goals as Chelsea and Liverpool drew one-all. Uh, Maurizio Sarri said after the game that Chelsea aren't as far behind Liverpool as he thought. Gab, what say you?
1: I mean, given that you know they were within a Daniel Sturridge worldy of, of beating them, probably yeah. And also, I think what people don't understand is he's not saying that they're on the same level. He's saying that, um, and and he says this because he's a hugely methodical guy who who said very clearly that you know you're not going to see his Chelsea team for for three or four months when he took over. So probably not till January. So I think he was he was encouraged that you know maybe the gap isn't isn't that big. And he, when I say gap, I don't mean gap in quality. And I don't think he doesn't mean gap in quality because he knows Eden Hazard can go and beat three people and score on anybody. It's more in, in, in the way the game unfolds. It's more in the way the, the, the players take on board uh, the way he wants to play. By the way, that scene at the final whistle where he just has this huge kid-like <laughs> smile or, or he looks as childlike as somebody who looks like him could possibly look. And he's approaching Klopp and then you see like Klopp's big head turns and like Klopp's teeth come into view and he's and his grin is just as big and it's just weird. seeing these two middle aged men who are just like, Man, that was fun, you know. <laughs> Wish we could do it again and and they they it just all felt so genuine. And it's just weird when you when you compare it with with other managers. You know, this was a top of the table clash and you know, the poison, the 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 sullenness
2: this was this was great. <laughs> this was just the fun but isn't game. Isn't that because both ending, managers
0: you know? just loved what they'd seen? It was just an all-round entertaining ninety minutes. When it's
2: a, I mean, it's a top-quality game, and they're both still unbeaten. So they've got something to smile about, yeah. you know. I mean, I thought uh, Liverpool had much the better of the game. Really, that they were opening up Chelsea too easily. I think Chelsea were only. Uh, Jorginho is a defensive midfielder, normally that's fine, but I think against Liverpool, was so good at uh, playing the incisive passes at high speed, and the top three can control it very well and turn, they were, they were getting into the dangerous areas far too often. Wow. And on, a, on another I day. I disagree. You would disagree. Yeah, on no, on, I mean, on another not. day, I mean, Salah would have had. Uh, well, if he'd have been on last season's form, he'd have had uh, two or three. Yeah, and um, on
1: another day, then Chelsea no, scored okay, three not, or four enough.
2: goals on the on the counter attack. Mm, I mean, yeah, but they, I think Liverpool had, had Liverpool uh, had you know better opportunities, had more dangerous openings. But having said that, Chelsea looked more like a team and I, I think they'd, they're more like a title winning team the team that can go consistently through a whole season Liverpool still perhaps a bit more of a Champions League team they'll, they'll blow away the best teams in Europe I'm not sure yet they're, they're consistent enough to, to win the title but certainly I have to say they were they were brilliant on Saturday and I definitely thought they were the better team Yeah,
1: yeah I mean I, I, I thought we saw another side to Saturday's Chelsea which was they defended a lot narrower um, in fact, David Lee spoke about this as well. You know, one of the things that they evidently picked up that with Liverpool, the attacking threat of that front three comes not with the wide men delivering crosses as much as it does sort of that, that continuous movement and whatever else. So the way you counter that is by creating more density in the middle. And at the same time, I thought they did a pretty good job of, of pinning Alexander Arnold, especially, but also Robertson back. And I thought that denied Liverpool width and made things more difficult. I think either team could have won this game. Where I think Liverpool have another dimension, though, and it's going to be interesting to see how he does it going forward, is obviously the changes, right? So on a day when I thought neither Firmino nor Salah were as sharp as, as they can be, you know, you went for Shakiri who maybe has more of that penetrating pass from, from deeper, more of the one-on-one, and Sturridge, who was obviously more of a genuine centre-forward. Uh, and obviously those were weapons that maybe in the past he wasn't able to call upon.
2: And Sturridge is a, is a great player. I mean, he, uh, playing for England in the 2014 World Cup, I think he was absolutely fantastic, a world-class talent. But... Uh, injuries have affected him mm. too much bit of inconsistency I mean if he just plays to his potential I mean it's absolutely sensational to have him as a sub you can't do any better than that
0: Well Jürgen Klopp is full of praise for Daniel Sturridge especially over pre-season as well and bear in mind you know he was playing for England in, in 2014 could he force his way back into into England do you think?
2: Um, yeah well Vardy out of the way of course That um, there's not a huge queue of strikers yeah, Can you uh, name three English strikers not named
1: Harry. Who are bona fide starters in the Premier League? We've had starters.
2: Um, the three hmm. best. The three best. Do well, yeah, you check uh, uh, a you minute. Know, let me? Trump.
1: No, no. I, I, I know. Exactly, I was, I was just wondering about. It. I mean, I know as, as in, like, it's, it's, you're it's, not
0: including Vardy either because he's no longer. Yeah, oh. yeah. Oh. Who, who are
1: available? And oh. I'm curious if Glenn Murray is going to be one of the guys you well, mentioned.
2: M- yeah, Murray, Deeney, Andre Grayless. Uh, Callum Wilson. Uh, so you're I'm basically
1: talking about, like, uh, who Deeney, who's the size... You know, the guy who's the size of a house and in his 30s. Uh, Glenn Murray, who's old enough to be Deeney's granddad. What? Yeah, Andre, Andre Gray. And yeah. Callum, Wilson. Callum, Callum Wilson, the guy who's had four knee operations. Yeah. I mean... No, um, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I... I, I, I yeah. This is the Gareth Southgate sympathy hour. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. when people say, like, oh, well, why I just give Kate a break? Because I... The alternative is calling on people like Welbeck, Sterridge, and Rashford, who are... who. <laughs> who Don't get regular playing time because they come off the bench. Welbeck was very good this weekend again, but but
2: still, it's yeah. You, anybody nice. jump out of no, you? No, not for the whole uh, Premier League, and that's pretty much it.
0: What about the goalkeeper Allison? Did we see the value of him on Saturday? Chelsea were leading one nil uh, in the second half. Hazard was was clean through, but Allison. Made the save, and it certainly turned out to be a crucial save. Bill doesn't
1: think so because Liverpool had much the better of the game. And... <laughs> no, they did. But, yeah, Chelsea did. Chelsea
2: had three or four good openings as well, don't they? I was watching the whole game carefully. You
1: had that one, and you had the that, that absurd Van Dijk recovery on uh, on Willian, yeah, where yeah. he basically goes and you know takes the make, takes the giant steps and runs him down. Um, yeah,
2: there was five or six really good openings for Chelsea, but probably well, Liverpool had ten or eleven. So. Just saying, it as I saw it, but but uh, Alison, uh, yes, I uh, he's really uh, he's very mobile. He, he's he's been good on one-on-ones, and he, a couple of other times he came out quickly, came off his line to clear. Um, very handsome too. Uh, well, see, <laughs> you keep on pointing out, yeah. Um, <laughs> there and, is more
0: to him than his looks, no? <laughs> no, he's, he's you think I sort as of as put
2: well. put top off his position, strikers or something? Maybe. But I mean, he's, he's uh, stunned by him, and oh, with the pink kit as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah but he's proving uh, to be a big step forward from last season with uh, Loris Karius, as Liverpool fans hoped.
0: It's time now to find out how we got on, Gab, in our weekly predictions game.
1: So I think it's safe to say for the first time in both of our lives... uh... We were incredibly invested in the well, Highland I League. I really was. And the fortunes of Fort William. Now, for those who don't know, Fort William, were playing something called Lossy Mouth. <laughs> and these two teams are terrible. Fort William came into this game with a minus 81 goal difference. Lossy Mouth, minus 50. their relative defensive stalwarts. <laughs> now, we both had Fort William winning. But sadly, it was Lossy Mouth who claimed an away victory by four goals. You did say three. there'd be
0: goals in it, though.
1: I did say there were there'd be goals in it and you know Fort one. William battled so bravely they were ahead at one point and they had a guy sent off I'm going to argue probably unfairly <laughs> um, but yeah no, heartbreaker.
0: <laughs> heartbreaker it was. It was Lossy Moutham that came away with the points. Uh, in Spain, I predicted a draw in the Madrid derby, whereas Gab predicted a reaction from Real and a win. Goalless, though, it finished. So a point goes to me, Gab. Which is
1: rather unfair because Gareth Bale <laughs> could pull off at halftime and Benzema was terrible and wasn't expecting that. Anyway, we both went for a 2-1 win for Manchester United at London Stadium. As I think we've probably established right now, that did not happen. Um, blame mm. us for having faith in Mourinho when he tells us that nobody trained better than Pogba this week. <laughs> now, Natalie thought Cardiff might be good for a draw on Sunday. Come on, Natalie.
0: I know, I know.
1: But I believed in Burnley and predicted an away win for Sean Dyche's men. And that meant that Natalie and I were all square.
0: Mm-hmm. So it all came down to a Chelsea against Liverpool. Gab, you predicted a Chelsea win, but I... Predicted a one-all draw, so that was a correct result and scoreline for me. Thanks very much to Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, of Daniel course.
1: Sturridge and <laughs> like a shot that if he takes it again, a thousand times. 999 of them Come on Nobody in the world I was doing my ESPN show With Steve Nichol And he said like he, When he squares up to shoot He's like He said like I was sure that this could be going anywhere
0: oh, He did yeah. anywhere to shoot How did he do that? I don't know I was watching with my boyfriend And he said What is he doing? And then celebrated so he, He's a Liverpool he's fan He's a Liverpool he? fan So he went mad um, But anyway It counts It went in It was a worldie from Daniel Sturridge So Gab I'm back in it again But you're still leading 4-2 You've still got a good lead
1: and hopefully we'll be building on that. <laughs> Enough predictions. How
0: about some quick
1: hits instead?
0: Our report in the game called it a clash of rudimentary game plans as Burnley won 2-1 at Cardiff. Bill, they're actually not bottom, but are Nil Warnock's side the worst in Premier League history?
2: No, I don't think by a long shot, actually. I thought they were quite good yesterday, deserved to win. Took a long time before uh, Arsenal got the better of them, and the same applied to Chelsea, even though obviously they lost both games. Um, I don't think it's anything like a a kind of a derby 11 points in 2008 scenario.
0: Oh, that was good. Since that
1: was so disciplined, you might have an interesting stat for us related
2: to their throw-ins as well. Um, yes, uh, the, Sean Morrison, the centre-back, takes long throw-ins with Cardiff. So uh, when they get a throws in any any sort of threatening position in the opposition half, in fact, often in their own uh, half, he comes up to take them. Uh, he took 20 long throw-ins. On average, it was 25 seconds per throw. So they used up eight minutes and 15 seconds of the game, just waiting for him to take a throw-in. The fans might have thought of other ways of enjoying the afternoon better. <laughs>
0: Not sure if it's value for money, is it, really? Really? Waiting for eight minutes.
2: Quite like seeing a big man
1: trundle up the pitch to go take (laughs) a throw-in. City win again, 2-0 over Brighton. Sergio Aguero scores a worldie. And Leroy Sané continues his progression. Bill, if he's fit and switched on, he has got
2: to be an automatic choice for Pep, right? Absolutely. I mean, Sane had a, a couple of poor games at the start of the season and he was criticised for his attitude by Tony Kroos of Germany. But um, last season, he was fantastic all the way through and he, he stepped up again quickly this season. The partnership on either wing with Sterling is brilliant. One crosses, the other one comes into the centre and finishes off the cross.
1: I just wonder what happens when De Bruyne comes back Ooh, and you have to find room for uh, Bernardo Silva somewhere.
0: But a good headache to have, perhaps. So it finally happened. But Leno is now the Arsenal number one, albeit because of a Petr Cech injury against Watford. Um, Bill, do you believe in the tactical and uh, build-up benefits this will supposedly bring? Oh, it's a hard <laughs> one to say. Um, given
2: that Czech has, when he's tried to play out from the back, he looks so flustered and it does seem to translate itself to the, to the rest of the team. So perhaps it'll make a, ch- a change. Even though Arsenal won seven in a the row, they've had an easy string of games. So uh, I don't think they're quite the finished article yet.
1: I don't think Arsenal played particularly well. Yeah, they used this this
2: mm. book. Newcastle
1: lose at home to Leicester City, but the real news is apparently that Mike Ashley is once again showing up to games and Peter Kenyon, our old buddy, is reportedly putting together a consortium to buy the club off him. Uh, Bill, what do you make of all this?
2: Well, apparently it's at uh, an early stage in negotiations, but uh, Newcastle fans will be, no doubt, very excited. I mean, I I, I think Newcastle have got a lot of uh, potential to be exploited commercially. They could make a lot more money out of their huge fan base.
1: Um, L.E.K. would not approve of somebody looking forward to being commercially exploited. (laughs) certainly would,
2: Uh, but Newcastle fans have such a low opinion of Ashley, they'll they'll take anybody, but as it stands, it looks like Kenyon would be buying a, a championship club.
1: Can you imagine how dire things must be that, like, <laughs>
2: you get excited by like,
1: by, like, by, like, the sight of Peter Kenyon? It's not a knock on him, <laughs> but, man.
0: OK, Gab, time for you. Juventus beat Napoli at the weekend 3-1 in a, in a top-of-the-table Serie A clash. But why is everybody talking about Ronaldo if he didn't score?
1: Well, on the football pitch, they're talking about him because of the uh, uh, of just his tremendous tremendous performance. We saw uh, a, a bit of everything. He was unselfish. He basically played a, a key part in uh, in all three of Juve's goals. Uh, at one point, he turned back the clock to circa two thousand and eight when uh, he beat a guy on the wind, turned him inside out, delivered a perfect cross uh, for Mandzukic's header, and uh, generally, it was his. It was clearly his, his best game since leaving Real Madrid, uh, and he really didn't seem to be fussed at all by the fact that he didn't score. How about one for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to explain this one. I understand a football league club won a prize from the United Nations last week. Please explain. And is it Brentford related?
0: It's not. No. Funnily enough. We are heading into League Two. Forest Green uh, won the Momentum for Change Climate would that be Action Award. Forest Green Award. Rovers. Indeed. Yes, they won the award uh, from the United Nations because of their green ethos. Uh, They're one of only 15 organisations from around the world to receive the award. They are, of course, the first vegan club in England, the first to become carbon neutral, powered by renewable energy. On top of that, they have an organic pitch, electric car chargers and a solar-powered robot lawnmower. They collect and recycle rainwater and any waste cooking oil is recycled into biofuel. And the owner isn't done there. He wants to uh, build the first modern age wooden stadium, 5,000 seater. Uh, they're doing really well this season as well. They're in the playoff places in League Two, seventh, and one of only two sides in the EFL who are unbeaten this season. So you could say Forest Green living up to their Green name and very much deserving of their award. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Bill Edgar and Ollie Kay.
1: Now Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and also on your smartphone or tablet. It's just going to cost you a pound a month for a three-month trial. Uh, Search The Times subscription for more information.
0: And we'll be back on Thursday, casting our eye ahead to Liverpool versus Manchester City. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information
2: and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway,
3: like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands.